Good morning. My name is Dave Denstead. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Fellowship. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about grace, about peace. Um, Doug has been sharing for several weeks before Christmas about the names that, that Jesus was called. And he's been sharing out of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And I want to read the verse to you, and then I want to, I want to spend some time talking about one of his names. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will, be, will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. He will, called, he will be called Prince of Peace. And, and I see that. And, you know, Doug's been talking about this for several months. But most of us can recognize the fact that 2020 wasn't exactly the most peaceful time that our nation has had. Or the most peaceful time that a lot of us have had as we've gone through that, that season in our lives. And, and after the first two or three weeks of 2021, it doesn't appear as if we're getting any more peaceful. So when we look at this Prince of Peace, I have to ask myself, what is that all about? Because if he really is a Prince of Peace, and I know I love him, and there's many of us that are here this morning that love him and that are praying, where's the peace? And what is this peace all about that Isaiah is talking about? Well, I want to I talk about that a little bit, because as we look at um, Scripture, Peace seems to be something a little bit different than maybe what we might think it is. Because when you look at even the life of Jesus, let's just take some time and, and walk through the life of Jesus and some of the New Testament characters. It doesn't seem like peace is very prevalent. You know, even at the point when, when the angel comes to Mary and says, a child will be born unto you. And, and uh, the, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you'll, you'll become pregnant. Well, that happens. Mary goes, okay, so it happens. And the, the next thing we read is that Joseph didn't know about this. And so she's pregnant and he knows he didn't do it. And so he's going to put her away secretly. So be, before anything, I mean, at conception, there's already tension in the family. There's already a lack of peace in the family. And then as we look at the birth of Jesus, you know, it says, it says a little bit later in Matthew that Caesar Augustus decrees that a census be taken. Now, we may have some issues with our government and stuff, but it was nothing like the government that was going on when Joseph and Mary were going to give birth to Jesus. I mean, there was no voice in that government. It was dictator. The taxes were high. And he says that there's a decree for the census. We had a census. We kind of decided if we wanted to do it or not. There's no option. And not only was there a census, they weren't going to come to Joseph and Mary's house. Joseph and Mary had to go to their own city. So they had to travel from Nazareth of Galilee to Bethlehem of Judea, which is about 90 miles. Now, it wasn't like, like Joseph could put Mary in the Cadillac, make sure the suspension was fine, tilt the seat back. Now, she's probably around nine months pregnant. Now, I have never been nine months pregnant, so I really can't talk from experience. But I've been married to somebody who's been nine months pregnant a couple of times. And I know that if I told her she had to walk from here to San Diego, um, that would not be a peaceful conversation. That wouldn't be a lot of comfort. That wouldn't be convenient. Um, and and that Scripture doesn't tell us that she walked, that she ride a camel. Um, but we're pretty sure she didn't take a jet or a Cadillac. 
So it took them five to seven days to get to, um, to um, Nazareth where she had to, to, to where she had to Bethlehem where she had to give birth. And when she got to Bethlehem, um, there was no room at the end. We all know the story. So she had to go to a stable. They, she had him in a stable, put him in a manger. To me, that doesn't sound real comfortable. It doesn't sound real convenient. It doesn't sound real peaceful. Um, so the birth, the whole process was not something that to me would be something that would reflect this Prince of Peace. Then when he's 12, they go to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and the Passover feast is finished, and, and they start heading back. And when they're heading back, they get about a day's journey away, and typically families travel together in a big caravan and stuff, so they didn't really worry about Jesus because they figured he was with one of their relatives. And, but after a day, they really started looking for him because they hadn't seen him, and he was nowhere to be found. So they had to go back to Jerusalem, another day's journey. Now, I don't know if you've ever lost your child in the mall or someplace like that. It's, it's, not, it's not like this peaceful experience, and I hope they're, it is panic. So here are Mary and Joseph trying to find Jesus. I'm sure they were panicked, and they looked for him for three days. So to me, that doesn't sound real peaceful, and this Prince of Peace was in the temple. He was talking to the Pharisees. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. But as far as Mary and Joseph are concerned, not real peaceful. And they weren't real excited about it. As we look at Jesus beginning his ministry, there's this guy, John the Baptist, who was going to come to prepare the way. And, and how he came is he was in the desert eating locusts, wearing animal skins. So, you know, when I look at that life, preparing the way for the Prince of Peace, that to me doesn't seem just really convenient and comfortable and peaceful. And for his efforts, he gets beheaded. So for preparing the way for the Prince of Peace, he gets beheaded. So this Prince of Peace thing has me a little bit confused. And then as you look at Jesus' life and ministry, he comes, he heals the sick, he preaches, he casts out demons, he heals the lame and the blind, um, he disciples his men, and he, 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 he's, he's serving people, but the religious system is continually after him. They're continually trying to test him. They're continually trying to catch him because they, they, they want to throw him in jail and imprison him. But, the, but they end up sending him to Pilate. They capture him, send him to Pilate. He gets beaten, he gets whipped, and he gets crucified. So this Prince of Peace lives a life that, is, that is, is constantly under some kind of tension, some kind of, of struggle, some kind of attack. Not real peaceful. Praise God, he raises from the dead three days later, conquers sin, conquers death, goes to his disciples. The disciples are transformed by being, from being afraid to being excited. They start preaching about Jesus, and thousands of people come to give their life to Christ. And right after that, nothing happens but conflict. So this Prince of Peace starts doing this wonderful work in the lives of the disciples, and then the disciples experience lack of peace. They're being persecuted. They're being attacked. There's this character called Saul who decides he's going to wipe out all of the Christians. And he starts attacking all the Christians in Jerusalem. He gets a letter to go to Damascus. He's going to take care of the Christians in Damascus. And on the way, Jesus encounters him. Flashing light from heaven. Saul falls to the ground. Jesus has a little conversation. Says, go into Damascus. I'm going to send somebody to talk to you. So God comes to Ananias, this guy who's living in Damascus, and says, I want you to go talk to Saul because he's waiting for you. Now, Ananias, being a very smart guy, says, I've heard of Saul. 
People have been talking about him. He's coming to Damascus to throw us all in prison. You want me to go talk to him? That doesn't sound to me like it's very comfortable or peaceful or convenient. But Ananias does that, and God says, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to show him how much he must suffer in behalf of my name. So the message isn't even all that peaceful. And, and, and Saul now is going to come to follow Jesus and, and preach the word, and yet his future is going to be one that will be um, suffering on behalf of Jesus' name. So again, this Prince of Peace who is calling Saul, who becomes Paul, to preach the message is telling him that you're, he's going to suffer. In fact, Jesus said that in this world, you're going to have tribulation. He didn't say in this world, you're going to have peace. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. And so Paul spends his whole life sharing with people who Jesus is, the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, and, and going into temples, and going into towns, and preaching, and teaching, and healing people, and loving people, and caring for people. And he describes what it was like. And so if you, if you have this mental picture of this successful guy who was laid up in four-star hotels, who was being taken care of, who people all loved and adored, he talks about his ministry in 2 Corinthians 11, 25 through 27. So you can write it down, look it up later. But here's what he says. He's kind of defending himself against some, some attacks um, that were being uh, given against him in, in Corinth. So here's what he writes. He says, starting in verse 25 of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I am speaking in foolishness. I too am bold. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am speaking as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent adrift at sea. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's Paul's ministry. Peaceful, convenient, comfortable, Exactly what God said was going to happen in Paul's life happened. He served God faithfully, but he didn't exactly have this peaceful life. So what is this Prince of Peace all about? Because it doesn't appear that the Prince of Peace came to give us a peaceful, comfortable, convenient life here on earth. And that everything should go the way we think it should go. That everybody should love each other and everybody should get along and everybody should have this peaceful coexistence. It doesn't seem like that's what this Prince of Peace is all about. So what is he all about? Well, that's what I really want to spend time talking about because the Prince of Peace didn't come to give us a convenient, comfortable life. He came to give us two things. The first thing he came to give us was peace with God. See, God knows how desperately we need peace with him because as people, 
We sin as people. We, li- we, we just fail. We continually are failing. We are continually are sinning. And, and God is a righteous God who is perfectly righteous and allows only perfectly righteous people to enter access into heaven. The Old Testament was full of laws and rules and regulations that they had to feel f- fulfill, things that they had to do to receive forgiveness. And Jesus came as a prince of peace to once and for all give us peace with God. And so any one of us that acknowledges that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus has come and died for our sins, and that his death, his blood that he shed was the sacrifice that paid the price for my sin, what I should be paying, Jesus paid. So now I have peace with God. When I get to heaven and God says, why should I let you in? I say, Jesus died for me. In fact, Paul says this in Romans. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says this. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. All of us have. And so we are all separated. We all deserve condemnation. We all deserve judgment. It's hopeless. How could any of us live a perfect life? We can't. So the Prince of Peace had to come so that we could have peace with God. Paul says later in in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, For the wages of sin is death. It's what we deserve. But he says, But the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is so comforting to know that I deserve death, but the gift that was given to me is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Jesus' death as the Prince of Peace came and he conquered sin and he conquered death. And incidentally, that's the only way. Jesus, when he was walking on earth, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Because if there was really a lot of different ways to get to heaven, Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus could have just said, no, I don't want to do it. Pick one of the other ways. But the only way, the only way that we could have peace with God is that a price had to be paid for our sin, and Jesus paid it. So the first thing that we have is peace with God, which is incredible because everything revolves around that. The second thing is we have the peace of God. We have the peace of God while we're here. Maybe we don't have peaceful, convenient, comfort life all the time, but we can have the peace of God in the midst of chaos. We can have the peace of God no matter what happens in 2021, no matter what happens with our government, no matter matter what happens with our world, no matter what happens with COVID, no matter what happens, we can have the peace of God reigning in our hearts. And I want to spend some time talking about that. We're going to now finally open the Bible. We're going to go to um, the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament. Once you get through the Gospels, get through Romans and Corinthians, you start getting to the epistles. And Philippians is kind of the fourth epistle back or third epistle back. We're going to be in chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to pick it up in verse 4. Because I want to talk about how do you have this peace of God? How do we get that? Because it's easy to stand up here and talk about it, isn't it? But how does it really happen? Because things happen and and the peace is no longer there. So here's what Paul says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. 
Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let, let the, um, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, how do we have this peace? We need to know that we can't control everything. See, we have to control what we can control and let God take care of everything else. What is one of the things that we can control? We can control our attitude. We can control our perspective. And so we need to be responsible to control those things that we can control. So what can I control? I can control my attitude about how I respond to things. I may not be able to control what happens, but I can control how I respond. And Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. We don't rejoice in circumstances. We don't rejoice in what happens. We rejoice in the Lord. Because as Ricky shared earlier, he is in control. So we rejoice in him. We control our our attitude in the midst of what's going on. And in spite of what's going on, we rejoice. And then he goes on and says, but let your gentle spirit be, be known to all men. Another thing that we can control. I can re- re- control how I respond. Do I respond in strife and anxiety and um, anger and frustration? Or do I respond with a gentle spirit knowing that God is in control? And he actually says after that, the Lord is near. See, when I know the Lord is near and I know the Lord is in control, I can have a gentle spirit. I can, I can rejoice in the Lord because I know that he's near. We need to control what we can control. And he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So are there things out of my control? Sure. What do I do with the things that are out of my control? I give them to God. I give them to God. I say, God, you take this. There's nothing I can do about it, so I'm going to trust you to do what you need to do in the midst of this situation. And I'm going to be thankful for you as you do that. So the first thing we need to do is control our attitude, control our perspective, control how we see things, and then control how we respond to things with an attitude that's God-honoring and that trusts God. The second thing that we need to control, he says in verse uh, verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. See, the second thing we need to control is we need to control our mind. We need to control what goes into our mind. And more today than ever do we have to be diligent to control our mind because All of us carry around this magic little thing that all you have to do is push a few things and you can get stuff that you can put into your mind instantly. And it could be stuff that is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely or it could be stuff that's deceitful and filled with dissension, filled with false information. It could be anything. And you have a choice of what you want to allow to go into your mind. You need to be the one. I need to be the one who controls my mind. Because if I'm going to have the peace of God, then I need to make sure I let those things of God in, not all the other things that are going to cause us to be anxious or frustrated or discouraged. 
So for us to have the peace of God, we need to control our attitude. We need to control our mind. Because if we do that, there's a peace that passes understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds as we allow God and the Holy Spirit to fill us and to move in us. And, and, and to do that, I want to take one more step. I want us to go back a couple of, of chapters in Philippians. From Philippians 4, I want us to go back to Philippians 2. And in Philippians 2, Paul says something that I think is very, very, very important for us if we're going to be people that are experiencing the peace of God. He says in, in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse 5. He says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made found in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So becoming people who have the peace of God in us it's important for us to understand we control our attitude, we control our mind, and one of the best ways to control our attitude and to control our mind is to have this attitude in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what was the attitude that was in Christ Jesus? He says, even though he existed in the form of God, even though he had the right to be God. See, we all have rights, don't we? And that's what gets us so angry because I have the right to be this way. I have the right to do that. I have the right to, we all have rights. And God says, even though Jesus had the right to be God, he chose not to be. And he emptied himself. See, if we're gonna be people who have the peace of God, we need to empty ourselves of all the stuff that gets in the way of God's love, peace, joy, and all the things that we need to have the peace of God. Because if we're not controlling our mind, then that means there's a lot of stuff coming in that shouldn't be coming in. And Jesus emptied himself of all that stuff and took the form of a bondservant. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about God's purposes and how God wanted to use Jesus. See, this may be hard, but it isn't about you. This, isn't, this thing isn't about you and it's not about me. It's about what God wants to do and God's purposes. And it says, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And then it says, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. So here's the thing. We empty ourselves so that we can become full of what God wants to do, what God's purposes are, what God's plans are, to be obedient to what God wants to do in us and through us. Because God is the one who knows what's going on. Here's, an, here's another um, thought that may be hard for us to take on. There's only two things. There's either God or there's not God. Doug talks about this all the time. There's God and there's not God. So, surprise, we aren't God. We don't know what's going on. We don't know all the things that are going on. We don't know why things happen. But God does. And so when we can say, you know what? I'm not God, so I'm going to empty myself and let God do what God wants to do in me and through me. We can have peace so that God can do that stuff because God then can fill us with his heart, with his will, and with his plan. See, it's not about convenience. It's not about comfort. It's not about having some kind of peaceful existence. It's about having a relationship with God that lets God be God in our lives. So as we go into 2021, 
Do you want to have a peaceful, loving marriage? Do you want to have peaceful, loving relationships? Do you want to have peace at your, at your work and your employment and your finances? Do you want to have peace in our nation? All that stuff is stuff that can happen in us and through us as we empty ourselves and let God be God. Because that's the important thing. Let me show you this. I finally found something that I could do with golf balls besides hit them into the woods and the rivers and the lakes and everywhere else. So this is our heart. This is our life. And we come to know the Lord, and it's really, it's really amazing to us because as we come to know the Lord, um, we see his love, we see his joy, we recognize that now we have peace with God. And so we have joy and our life is just filled with joy, and our life is filled with love because we experience the love of God, and, as, and we realize that Jesus died for us, and so our life has this joy and this love. And, and life is so good because we are so appreciative of Jesus and what Jesus does. And then as we go through, things begin to enter. All of a sudden, anger enters in. Because, you know, those guys on the freeway, they make me so mad. Why do they drive that way? And when my wife does that, she makes me so mad. And, you know, my husband makes me so mad. And those neighbors, they make me so mad. And all of a sudden, we have some anger that fits into our life. And then as we go on, we get pride. And, you know, pride is so subtle. It's so subtle. We don't even recognize it, but it's there, and it probably should be like big old ball like this that takes over our life because everything's about me. Everything's about how I feel it should be. Everything's about how I see it. Everything's about what my perspective is. Everything's about what I think God should do, and I'm just proud enough to think that I can do better than God's doing, and I could tell God what to do. And then, of course, I see my neighbors, and they don't seem to have all the problems I have. And I'm a little envious of them, of the cars they drive, and the things that they're able to do. And so I let envy in. And then, you know, I get really judgmental because I watch the TV, and I see those idiots saying all those stupid things. And I see my neighbor doing those stupid things. And I see that idiot driving on the freeway, and he's so stupid. And I just become judgmental because I really do know what's best. And I really do know how people should live. And I really do know how people should think. And if they don't think like me and act like me... And be like me, then, then they're just, you know, they're just uh, hopeless. And then, you know, along with that, you know, I get a little bit of jealousy because, you know, it just isn't right that somebody lives the way that they should live and I don't get what they get. And then there's, you know, strife because I get angry with what's going on and my anger spills over to other people and now there's strife in my relationship with other people. And then I get some, you know, gossip, you know, um, you know, somebody comes and says, you know what Tom said, and you know what Tom did, and, and then somebody from the church comes and says, you know, we really need to pray for Mary, because do you know what happened with her, and, and, and you know, and all of a sudden, my life starts getting full of things that are not good for me. I haven't been setting my mind on the things that are of this world. I set my mind on other th- on, on, on things of the Lord, but on other things, and then God, I come to God, and I say, God, God, I, I just need peace. Can I just have the peace of God? I mean, there's so much going on. I, I, you know, I lost my job. Things aren't good at home. My kids just aren't handling this COVID very well. My family's getting sick. Um, I just need the peace. I need your peace, God. And he goes, okay, um, uh, uh, um, where, where, where can I put it? Um, why, why don't we do this? Why don't you, can you take your anger out? 
Well, yeah, I could take the anger out, God, but um, those people, they make me so mad. I mean, I, I, they just make me so mad. Well, why don't you take out judgment? Yeah, I could do that, but, but they're so stupid. I mean, I, I'll take it out, but those, they're so stupid. Well, take out pride. Well, yeah, I could do that, but you, you just never do anything that I want, I, I want you to do. I mean, why don't you just do it? And, and so, so, well, God, can't you just figure out how to get it to stay? Just be careful. Get it to stay. Oh, see, I told you. We can do this. See, and, and we, we, we don't want to remove anything. We don't want to empty ourselves. We just want God to add little things on there. And then you know what happens is our life gets all jumbled, and all of a sudden there goes peace. There goes compassion. There goes empathy. It just splashes everywhere because we refuse to take out anger. We refuse to take out envy. We refuse to take out pride. We refuse to take out jealousy. We refuse to make room so that the Holy Spirit can begin to put in us the love and the joy and the peace and the long-suffering and the light that God wants to shine in us and through us. People, being willing to empty ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us with those things that are of the Lord, it's the only way to have the peace of God. It's the only way to have the peace of God. And, and if you happen to be somebody that um, just wants to be in control, and wants to tell God what he should do and is really frustrated because God doesn't do what he should be doing, I just want to read one more passage to you because if there is one person that should be frustrated, if there's one person that should be upset, if there's one person that should be mad at God, Job was that person. Had everything, serving the Lord, loved the Lord, was faithful to the Lord, but he lost his house, he lost his family, he lost all his possessions, he lost his health. He's laying in the dust with boils all over his body, complaining, upset. His friends come and tell him he should have sinned. That's why he's so miserable. And so he's complaining to God, and God comes to him. And if you happen to be the same type of person that thinks you should be in control, you should be the one who should be telling God what to do because what he's doing doesn't make sense to you and you don't like it, read Job 38, 39, 40. I'm just going to read a couple of verses just to give you a feel for what Job experienced as God came to him. So it says, the Lord answered Job. This is Job chapter 38. I'll just read it. You can look it up later. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know, or who stretched the line in it, or, who, or what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy, or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb, when I made a cloud its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band, and I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt and doors, and I said, thus far you shall come, but no farther, and here shall, be your, pr here shall your proud waves stop. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? When did we do what God did? Never. God is God, we are not. God's in control, we are not. 
Control what we can. Let God control the rest, and you will have a peace that passes understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're God. We thank you that not only are you God, but you are personally involved in our lives. You died for us so that we could have peace with you. And then you continually to work in us so that we can have your peace. So Lord, fill us with your peace. Empty us of all the pride, jealousy, envy, and garbage that's keeping us from being full of you. And we're gonna live to your glory in Jesus' name, amen.